The following is an audio sermon from Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. For more free audio content, search Sacred City Church in your iTunes store. First three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all about the gospel, all right? That might be a new word to you. It's all about what God has done for us in Christ for his own glory and our good, okay? The first three chapters are filled with what we call indicatives, things that God has just done, all right? He's uh, sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ elected us, chose us, predestined us, pulled us out of the world, set us apart for his own glory, seated us in the heavenly places. He goes on and on about the beauty of what God has done for us in the gospel through Christ. Now, the fourth chapter is where we sit right now, and it's where the book of Ephesians makes a big jump, okay? It goes from all these things that God has done in the gospel into all these things now, uh, how we should live. So the book of Ephesians, if you want just a big picture about the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is about the church. It's about God coming down, cr- calling himself a people, creating a people, saving a people, and then the last three chapters now are about how those people live. So the gospel is to be proclaimed, the gospel is to be modeled and lived, and then what does a gospel-centered people actually look like? That's the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians that we're going to uh, be diving into um, Ephesians has quickly become my favorite. I mean, I'm going to say this probably every time we go through a book of the Bible, but right now Ephesians is my favorite book of the Bible. All right, I'm just going to say it. Um, God is messing me up through it. I, I'm loving it. I'm seeing his plan, his salvation for all people. I'm seeing what he's been doing through all of creation. I'm seeing it clearer now than I think I ever have uh, before. So I want you to hear this this morning. Paul calls gospel-centered believers the church. That's what Paul calls the church. The church is, more specifically, not a building, not a meeting that takes place on Sunday morning. The church is the people of God. More specifically, a gospel-centered family sent on a mission to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples to renew the world. Okay, That's what the church is. I want you to walk away from this message today with a biblical understanding of what the church is. I want you to be convinced from Scripture, not just from my opinion. My opinion doesn't carry any weight. I want you to be convinced from Scripture because our culture has its own idea of what the church is. And those ideas and that philosophy can easily impact us. And matter of fact, it has impacted us. Everyone in this room, you've been impacted by the culture's idea of the church and not necessarily the biblical concept of the church. What Paul said, this is the church. We've been impacted by what our culture says the church is. So many of us think we go to church. Church is a building. No, it's not. Many of us think church is a gathering on Sunday morning. No, it's not. We think the church is a right-wing political agency. No, it's not. We think the church is a place to go and hear some music and listen to a guy talk, tell us how we need to live our life, and then we go apply those moralistic teachings to live our life. No, it is not. Now, the church does some of those things. The church does some of those things. But I want you to think, the church is an identity. The church is a people. It's the people of God who've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what the church is. The church is an identity we possess. It's not somewhere we go. So much so, I'm training my child. If you ask my kid my, today, my, kid, my, my son, he says, Dad, do we get to go gather with our church family? And I say, yes, yes we do get to go gather with our church family. I don't even want my son using the vernacular of let's go to church. 
Because what that, what that teaches is that when he's away from here, I'm not the church. When I go home, I'm not the church. When I go home, it's something different. So I can separate. I have this false dichotomy between my church life and my real life. And Paul blows that up. Paul says, all of our life is sacred. All of our life is lived before the throne and the face of God. All of our life is uncovered and laid bare to, to, him, to him to whom we must give account. So Paul defines the church in very different terms, okay? And if this is your first time here, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize already because we are in the deep, we are the th- in the thick of it today, okay? We are in some deep waters, we're in the thick of it, and I tried my best to simplify, to narrow down, to make it as clear as possible, and about 10 o'clock last night, I gave up, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you that. About 10 o'clock last night, I said, I'm going to bed. This text is just too messy. It's too big. It's too expansive. So it is what it is. I might stay on this text for the next three weeks. I might move on next week. I don't know because there is so much weight. And, and, and this text has been, ha, has been really formative for the way Sacred City has set up our philosophy of ministry, the way we approach the world, the way we approach our city, the way we approach doing ministry and living life together, this text has been really formative for us. So we're going to get into it. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read through it. I'll probably give us a a quick gloss over of just some terms, and then I'm going to jump into it. Uh, We're going to start in verse, what what verse are we starting in? Verse 7. When you're there, say there. All right. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has specifically gifted you to serve his church. Every single person in this room that has been brought from death to life, you have been given new life and you've been given a spiritual gift to serve the church. Okay, keep reading. Therefore it says, when he ascended, talking about Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Uh, here Paul is quoting from Psalm 68, verse 18. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? This is what he's, Paul's talking about. Because Jesus Christ was the Son of God, he left heaven's throne. He left it, he came, he, he descended to the earth, he walked as a man. He had to deal with the temptations of sin, he had to deal with the sin-stained world. He descended from heaven in humility and walked the earth. He lived an absolute perfect life, never sinning once. Okay, never making, you know, never sinning against the Father, never choosing to be proud or arrogant or boastful. He, he was a perfect man. Then, an ultimate act, in the ultimate act of humility, he, humiliated himself, he humbled himself even farther by dying a criminal's death on the cross, taking our place. The Father was so satisfied with his sacrifice, so satisfied with his perfect life, that the Father then chose to resurrect him from the dead, and then he was seen by over 500 witnesses all around, um, all around the area. Then, uh, many days later, Jesus Christ ascended. He literally lifted off. I mean, it was like beaming up Scotty, right? He floated off into heaven. One of my favorite scriptures of all the Bible because it says, Jesus ascended into the heavens and many believed, but some doubted. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's about right. That's about right. There's some people that Jesus is floating up. I don't know. I think my cousin does something like that, I think. Right? Like, I've seen that on YouTube once. I, I think... Right? There's still people that doubt. Why? Because salvation is from the Lord. Okay? Eyes to see is from the Lord. That's why. So that's where we're at. Um, <clears throat> verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles. So first off, I want you to see that some of the, these gifts that are given to the church 
are people, okay? They're gifted people. Now, immediately when you read these words, you probably are going to go to office, a pastor, he has an office, a prophet, he has an office, an evangelist, he has an office. It's like a title. This is not what he's talking about. He's talking about specifically gift. He's talking about gifts and gifted individuals. He is not talking about an office of the church, okay? Uh, let's, let's read this. He gave uh, the apostles. Apostles are people who start churches. Uh, big, we like to say it like this. The big A apostles do not exist anymore, okay? Big A apostles were, were the people that, that Jesus was revealed to. Um, at post, post-resurrection, they led the church. Also, Paul, he said he was born in a different time. Jesus Christ knocked him off his horse, named Saul, changed his name to Paul, sent him out to start churches. That's big A apostles. Those do not exist. They wrote the scriptures. If a guy pops up and says, hey, you know what? I think I'm an apostle. You see these guys passing out their business cards at conferences and stuff. now. I'm an apostle. No, you're maybe a little A apostle. You're not a big A apostle, all right? You can't write scripture. You can't speak for the word of God. You can't do those things anymore. But an apostle is someone who goes to, un, uh, goes to places and plant churches. In some regards, I operate a little bit in an apostolic gifting because we are planting Sacred City Church. Um, we are also are part of, if you didn't know this, we, we were... We're... Um, Planting churches is very important to us. We want to plant another church within three years um, of, of now. We're part of a network called Acts 29 Network. Uh, we plant, we, this last year, well, actually, so far in the last 10 years, we've planted 420 churches around the world. Uh, we planted 152 new churches in 2000 alone, or 2011 alone. And we've got several hundred other church planters in our leadership pipeline being trained and equipped, uh, ready to plant in the future. 10% of all of the giving of Sacred City Church, of all of your giving, um, we don't do offering around here. You'll find that out right away. You can give online or you can, there's a box in the back that you can drop giving into. You can also give through an iPhone, credit card stuff in the back. Um, and I, I'm just going to drop this in there. If you have a smartphone or a smart tablet, uh, the Version Bible app, all of our liturgy is on there. So you can follow along with my notes and all the liturgy that we do is on that Version Bible app. You just hit, click live events and search Sacred City Church and it's right there. You can fill in notes. You can give online, um, that kind of stuff. So 10% of our giving of, of Sacred City Church goes towards planting churches. We believe that the way to make disciples, first and foremost, is planting new churches, dropping the seed of the gospel into the culture, the soil of a culture, and trusting the sovereignty of God to bring about a thriving church. And that's what we do. So that's where we are. That's an apostle, plants churches. I'll say that. The prophets... Uh, prophetic, this is someone who speaks truth, this is someone who speaks the word of God. Uh, I would say this again, first two are kind of controversial, no big A apostles, no big P prophets, okay? You'll never hear me tell you, um, all right, God told me that you need to marry this person, all right? If I say that, slap me, please, okay? Because I'm a liar, okay? God, we don't believe in the big P prophet. We don't believe that God tells me what kind of bread to buy when I go to the grocery store, okay? Maybe he will, but but... We don't believe that I can know 100% for sure that it's God speaking to me, okay? And that's just really annoying to work with a guy who's like, well, we're doing this because God told me so. Well, okay, I, can't, I guess I can't argue. I can't question your motives. I can't, we, can't, we can't even talk about this because if God said it, then who am I supposed to argue with, right? Well, that's just not, we don't, we don't believe that. We don't operate that. So if I feel like God is speaking to me, I'll say, I feel like God is saying this. And I'm going to trust it to my elders. I'm going to trust it to my missional community. What do you guys think? Does this sound wise? Does this sound like the right area? Does this sound like the right way to move forward and, 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 
and such. So we don't believe in the big P prophets, but we do believe people speak the word of truth and speak the word of God, and they are gifted that way. Evangelists, this is people uh, who like to proclaim the gospel, like to share the gospel. All right, this is people that go out and they make disciples right away. Uh, shepherds and teachers this is kind of a com- combination term. Shepherd, teacher, pastor, teacher. Uh, people who shepherd souls, missional community leaders. We're all called to do some of this. And then look at this. This is, this is one of the key tech, key verses of this text. God gave these gifted individuals, these apostles, these prophets, these evangelists, these shepherds, these teachers, to do this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Saints are not some kind of select uh, group of people that have reached uh, some kind of level, you know, they've, 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 they've earned their way up to this sainthood. No, saint is a believer in Jesus Christ. Someone who's been brought from death to life is a saint. So I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, you're called to ministry. I want you to do it again. Say, you're called to ministry. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called to full-time ministry. Now that might mess with you right now because you probably think that full-time ministry is, I'm not doing what that dude's doing up on stage. I'm not a freaking preacher. Uh Uh-uh, that's not happening. No, that's not what I'm saying. You're called to full-time ministry. You're called to being a full-time disciple. You're called to make disciples who make disciples. All of us are. Now let's keep reading. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until, so this is when you know you can quit, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, look, that's you, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay. So that's a quick overview. Now we're going to go back in. I want you to look at verse 3. This is, we're going to get into it now. Verse 3. Paul tells us in verse 3, be eager, we use the ESV version around here, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Other versions say make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now in verses 4, 5, and 6, this is, this is critical here. In 4, 5, and 6, I want to ask you this question. If the church is made up of one body, if it's filled with one spirit, if it has one hope, if it has one Lord, if it has one faith, if it has one baptism, if it has one God and Father, why is there not already unity? If the church has all those things, like perfect unity, I mean, those seven ones, that's the number of perfection. Those seven things, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one God and Father, one Lord, one head, one body. If the, if the church is all one, why, it, why does Paul command, be, make every effort to work towards unity? Why does Paul do that? Why does Paul have to tell us to make every effort to work for unity and peace in the body of Christ? I think it might help us to answer this question first. And this is always one of those questions that make people, you know, some people like them, some people don't because it seems really obvious, but then we miss it. So just what is, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? In chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul tells us 
that a Christian is someone who was dead in their trespasses, but God made them alive through the power of the gospel. They were completely lifeless outside of Christ, but God made them alive. Paul tells us that when you believe the gospel, God comes and dwells inside of you. He says that you have the life of the Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have the very essence, the very life of God living inside of you. That's the essence of being a Christian. I want you to hear this. Especially in, you know, (laughs) politics season, right? Where everybody's throwing around this evangelical word and evangelical Christians are leaning this way and they're leaning that way and people don't understand what it means to be evangelical. Evangel, gospel, we're gospel people. We're people that have been brought from death to life. Christianity is not primarily a way of life. Christianity is not primarily having conservative values. Christianity is not primarily being good, nice, moral people who take care of the poor. That is not the heart of Christianity. Christians do all those things. Those things are good to be moral and ethical and take care of the poor. Those are good things, but that's at the heart of Christianity. We aren't just nice. We are new. We're not just nice. We are new. We've been born again, as Jesus says in the gospel. We have new power living on the inside of us. Paul said that we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. We've been given every spiritual blessing. Christianity is not primarily being a good person, being a good neighbor, voting a certain way. So back to our questions. If we're new and we're Christians, why is unity so difficult? Why is unity so difficult? Why does Paul go say, make every effort to keep the unity? We're going to find out in verse 13. I want you to look at verse 13. Verse 13 reads this. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look, so that we may no longer be children. So that we may no longer be children. We, you're going to like this. I'm going to make you say this to your neighbor anyways. Say we are children to your neighbor. Right? You really like that. Listen, the gospel creates babies. That's what the gospel does. This might flip our lid a little bit. The gospel creates immature people. The gospel creates immature babies. In Ephesians 2, when the person is dead and God causes them to be born again and brought to new life, they're not brought to mature manhood. They're not walking around like mini Jesus right away, okay? They are, I mean, let's just, I got a baby at home. I got another baby on the way. They make messes, okay? They smell a lot of times. They scream a lot of times. Okay, that is how you're born again. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how long you've been in the church. When you come to faith in Christ, you come to him as a baby. You are reborn as a baby, as an immature, little, spiritual infant. It's how we come to Christ. It's what he does in us. We're made into spiritual infants. Now, 
How do you know? <laughs> this is where it might get a little difficult. Some of us have been in church for a long time, and we're still on the bottle. Some of us have been church in church a long time, and we're still making messes in our diapers. How do you know if you're still a spiritual baby? Paul's going to show us here. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Okay, first off, right here. This is how you know if you are still a spiritual infant. Number one, you are not discerning, okay? Babies are not discerning. You, you see right there, Paul says they're carried around by every wind of doctrine. Babies are not, cons- are not discerning. If I leave a little pink anthrax pill on my floor, my daughter will walk around and say, mm, and pop that baby in her mouth, and she, I mean, she'll eat it up. Okay? She has no idea the difference between good food and bad food. If she sees it, she's going to eat it. doesn't matter if she found it under the couch and it's been there a week. My daughter is a human vacuum cleaner. Okay? She, is a spirit, she is an infant. Okay? That's one of the, she has no discernment whatsoever. If I, gave her, if I gave her a knife, she wouldn't know what it was for. And she, Actually, she found her mother's uh, razor in the bathtub the other day and cut, her li- and cut her little finger on it and it's got all the guards on it. I don't know how she managed to do it, but luckily she didn't swallow the thing, okay? I'm just thankful she didn't swallow it. Why? Because she's an infant. She has no discernment. And many of us, if you're a spiritual infant, you have no discernment. You are blown away by every wind of doctrine. It, and this, this is, let me just put it really simple. If you don't know your Bible, if you don't know what orthodox, that means right, right, orthodox Christian teaching is, if you don't know good doctrine from bad doctrine, you're still a spiritual infant. You're still a baby. If you can't find, if you don't know where, script, where scripture is, you don't know how to study your Bible, if you don't read your Bible, I'm gonna be, I mean, Paul's making it very clear, you are gonna be in a dangerous spot because you have no discernment. Somebody comes in with some bad teaching, which it's, it's, all over the world. You can go to the Christian bookstore and you can find some big pictures with somebody's face on the cover telling you how to live your best life now and you can pick it up and read it and it's absolute garbage. It's absolute garbage. I was at the BAM the other night on a date with my wife. I opened up, I was looking at some of the, some, of the, some, some popular stuff going on right now and I'm reading the back of it and it's how to apply the cross and resurrection to give you success in every area of your life. And I was like, Really? How to apply the cross and resurrection to make you successful in every area of life. I guess Paul missed that. I guess the apostles being, you know, thrown to lions and killed and stabbed and run through, I guess they missed that how to be successful uh, seminar when Jesus was teaching them. I guess it just, and I want, I turned them all around in the bookstore. (laughs) I turned them all around. I was like, give me some Keller or something to put in front of them. I'm like, nobody buy this garbage. But we are babies and we can, be, we can be moved around and pushed around to believe that stuff. If we're not spiritually mature and know what our Bibles teach us and know what the church has been teaching for 2,000 years, know what, that's what orthodox doctrine is, things that the church has settled thousands of years ago. All right, so first off, there's no discernment in a spiritual infant. Secondly, uh, infants are incredible. Well, we, we, can, we can see this in the text uh, by human cunning and craftiness. Number one, uh, hu- 
babies are incredibly self-centered, right? 90% of the people, kids, they, one of the first words is, no, me, mine. My daughter will not share. I hug my wife and yeah, she starts crying. She's so jealous for my wife's love. And then, you know, I stoke the fires. My mommy, my mommy. I had her first, you know. I show my jealousy. <clears throat> so number one, they're not discerning. Number two, they're incredibly self-centered, right? Spiritual babies are too. They're always getting their feelings hurt. Spiritual babies, they're constantly feeling left out. They rehearse things over and over and over in their head thinking, it's not fair. I wanted the green sippy cup. He got the, per you know, what, it's like the kids, my kids, maybe I just have, you know, I know they're sinful, so that, that does, you don't have to tell me that. Maybe I just have really bad kids. I know I don't, but they, they fight over like, I wanted the blue glass. Will you, here, switch them. No, 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 I want that. What? what? Incredibly self-centered. Incredibly self-centered. Now I know why the parents like to give the talk. Do you know how hard I work for that, right? Do you know what I did to get here? What, you better, you know, right? I know, now I know why parents like to give that, because kids are incredibly self-centered, incredibly self-centered. Spiritual children are the same. If you're a spiritual baby, you are always thinking about yourself. You're always meditating on how you've been slighted, how you've been hurt, how that's not fair, how they're mean, now they don't understand you. It's about you. And I hope you know this is what our culture is producing. This is why people can't stay married for longer than eight minutes. If, it's not, if you're not happy, just leave. If you're not feeling it, just try again. It's all about you. You deserve it. You deserve a vacation. You deserve a fancy car. You deserve a nice house. You deserve, you deserve, you deserve. So we have little, our network likes to call these type of uh, boys who have matured to manhood, they're basically boys who can shave. We call them ban. All right, because they're kind of in between a boy and a man, but they're like 30 and they're living in their mom's basement still. Um, and, and they prolonged adolescence, they prolonged immaturity where they cannot take responsibility. They cannot step up and sacrifice what they want. They're so self-centered. They want to sit at home and play Call of Duty till 3 in the morning and then wonder why they can't wake up at 7 a.m. to go to work. They have no idea what they want to be with their life, but they know they don't want to work like that. It's incredibly self-centered. Our culture is creating cookie-cutter kids. spiritually immature, porn-addicted, emotionless men. I said this a couple weeks ago. And wannabe Kim Kardashian women. Spiritual infants. Number one, you're not discerning. Number two, self-centered. Number three, they're just not steady, right? It says right away, you're tossed to and fro in the text. My daughter, I mean, God is hilarious the way he makes us, right? He makes these little bitty babies, but they have this ginormous head, <laughs> right? And we wonder why they're not stable. Like, but it's funny because, you know, 
this is like everybody freaks out about this because a, a kid crawls up the table, right, for the first time, and they're standing at the coffee table, and their legs are wobbling, and we're like, yeah, they made it. They stood up. It's so exciting. And then God does this, just this amazing trick that he creates this stuff called gravity, all right, and it's pulling downward on the baby. And eventually, the baby just moves just a touch you know, he just tips his head, right? This ginormous head just tips forward just enough where the baby's either face plant and eat it or I better take a step, right? So this ginormous head tips forward. Gravity's pushing down. The baby says, I step or I die. And then the baby takes steps and we all cheer and go nuts, right? That's pretty much what happens. A baby is incredibly unstable, right? The whole, the, my daughter, she will be having a blast. Like the other day, jump, jump on the couch, jump, jump, head her off the couch, Okay. It was like so fun, but then she wants to do it again. We are incredibly, babies are incredibly unstable, right? Not only, not only physically, but emotionally. They can be so excited and then boom, crying in an instant, right? Life is over in an instant. All you have to do, you know, you, you can, they're going to have the best time of their life. They're so excited. And you say, okay, let's go. Let's get ready for bed. <laughs> right? They lose it. Get ready for bed. They lose it. Babies are incredibly unstable, same thing for spiritual babies. You know that you're a spiritual infant if you're not a steady person. You only come to church when you feel like it. You only gather with believers when you feel like it. You only participate in a missional community when the stars align perfectly and you have nothing else going on. You're not steady. You don't know how to suffer. You don't know what it means to persevere. You only give financially when you've got excess. Your Bible gets read the first week of the year and then collects dust for the next 51. You're not steady. You're a spiritual infant. So Paul, put this, let's put this positively. So Paul, according to Paul, a spiritual mature person is someone who's biblically literate. They know how to read their Bible. They're theologically wise. They serve people often. They don't constantly get their feelings hurt, but when they do, they love and forgive. They aren't always feeling left out, and they're spiritual steady. They can endure and handle suffering. So let's do a little diagnostic question. Is that you? Are you spiritually immature? Are you a spiritual child? Are you a spiritual infant? Listen, I, I know some of us, we probably just got punched in the throat right there, okay? We probably just, that, that's me. And some of us, you know what, I want you to know, it's okay. It's okay. If you're new to faith, if you're just coming, you know, if you've just went from death to life, you're a baby, that's great, that's good news. But if you've been in the church for 30, 40 years, maybe not so much. But I want you to look at verse 13 and 14 here, because I'm going to bring... I think I can give you some relief, okay? I can offer some relief here. Look at verse 13 and 14. Uh, this is crazy. Apostle Paul, all right? Let's just say God's A-team, the Apostle Paul. Can we all agree that he's on God's A-team, right? Okay, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Paul is including himself in the spiritually mature here. 
We are called to grow up into maturity, into the likeness of Jesus Christ, into the image of Christ. And Paul says, even he is still a far way off. Okay? So if Paul is still a spiritual baby, let's say he's a three-year-old, I'm like three seconds old. All right? If we're going to compare it. I know Paul could endure, and he could suffer, and he could preach, and he could live it, and he could, I mean, he was down the road. So I'm going to say, if he's considering himself a spiritual baby, maybe he's a toddler, and I'm like, I still got the gunk on me, okay? I'm like brand new birth, right? I'm, th- I'm three seconds old. Some of you, your head's poking out, but you're not quite there yet. <clears throat> So I asked you earlier, if we have the life of God, the Trinity on the inside of us, and we have one head, we have one body, we have one Lord, we have one God, we have one Father, and we're filled with one Spirit, why do we need to work for unity? Why is unity so difficult? Why is peace and community so difficult? All right, because the gospel creates babies, and we all need to grow up. That's why. The gospel creates babies. And verse 15 and 16 says we all need to grow up into the likeness of Christ. This should be freeing. This process of growing up into the likeness of Christ, we call discipleship. The process of growing up into the likeness of Christ, we call discipleship. Listen, I want you to understand this. We should not be surprised when we see spiritual immaturity in the church. If the gospel is at work, like Colossians says, and the gospel is constantly bearing fruit and growing, we should be incredibly excited when we see immaturity in the church. Because immaturity means that God's bringing new growth, God's bringing new life, God's making spiritual babies happen in our midst. We should be excited about spiritual immaturity. All right? If the gospel is bearing fruit in our church, there's always going to be immature people running around. That's why we got 20 plus kids downstairs, man. The gospel's bearing fruit in our marriages. The gospel's bearing fruit in our lives. It's, we're, we're making spiritual babies. We're making physical babies. The gospel's, I mean, the gospel's growing. It's a great thing. So that encourages us, and he's, he does in the text as well, to be patient with one another, to bear with one another in love. When I see maturity in my brother, when I see maturity in my sister, I can say something. I can come alongside that person. But I don't expect anything more. I expect immaturity from a young believer. But what about me? This is important. See, do not put up with spiritual immaturity in yourself. Don't put up with it. Don't write yourself, well, you know, and give you all the excuses in the world. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad as that. No. Don't put up spiritual maturity. Paul says specifically, we must grow up. We must grow up. So if this is the goal, if the goal, I mean, Jesus says it, if the goal is to make disciples who then make disciples, right? Mature people make babies. That's just what happens. Everything that, when it reaches maturity, a tree reaches maturity, it produces fruit, which then produces more trees, right? The same thing goes for disciples. When a disciple reaches maturity, they multiply and they make more disciples. That's what a mature believer of Christ looks like. It's one of the things is they make disciples who make disciples. So if this is the goal, how? How do we grow up spiritually? How do we grow out of our diapers, right? Our spiritual diapers. How do we grow up? into mature manhood. Now, this is a huge area for us, okay? 
Um, this really defines who we are and what we do as Sacred City Church. Um, every single church in the world has one great calling, and that calling is to make disciples who make disciples. But how? How do you make disciples? How do you make mature disciples who reproduce? How do you do that? Is it done by just having a big gathering like this and people come in and they just listen to a guy talk and then they go out and then it just naturally happens? Is it done by having little Bible studies? Is it How? This is where churches differ, okay? We all have the same mission, make disciples who make disciples. Every church, that's, that's I mean, we want to, for the glory of God, make disciples who make disciples. But how we do it kind of makes us a little different. This is why we call ourselves a gospel-centered, missional church. This is big. I want, I want you to hear this. The way we grow, the way we grow as believers is through developing a deeper understanding of God and the gospel. And that is done. Now listen, this is, this is where we differ right here. That is done one way. In community and on mission. We grow by developing, developing a deeper understanding and experience of God and the gospel. But that is only done in community and on mission. What the heck does that mean, Justin? Those are weird. I've never heard that language before. It's different. It means this. I don't get to come up with my idea of how to make disciples. Jesus Christ showed me. Jesus Christ lived amongst his people. He, he chose men in, that, to follow him. He lived life with them. He served with them. He taught with them. They made mistakes. He corrected them. He lived in community with those men for three years. When he left and he said, go and make disciples, they knew exactly what he meant. They didn't mean, I wonder if he wants us to gather a bunch of people together and I'll just preach and that's it. I wonder if he meant that. No. They knew he meant live with people, be in community with people, Pro preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, yes, but in life, in word and deed. So in community and on mission. What's it mean on mission? The whole time they're together, they had a mission. They had a mission to move forward, to move the kingdom of God forward, to advance the kingdom. They were on mission. Everywhere they went was a ministry opportunity. Whether they were in a tax collector's house, whether they were at a party, um, whether they were uh, in an upper room, every day, everywhere they went, they were on mission as disciples. That affects the way we do discipleship. Discipleship is not primary. oh, this is big, is not primarily done in this room. You can shut me off and walk out and be the same person. Discipleship is done six days a week. Discipleship is done when you're at the bar, when you're at the gym, when you're at your home, when you're in a missional community gathering, whatever. Discipleship is done in your real life. It's also done here. This is a piece of it. We're not negating the Sunday gathering at all. This is a piece of it. So we say that the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. And the reason we say that is because that's the way Jesus did it. It's the way Jesus did it. So that's the way we want to do it. <clears throat> we make disciples by being centered on the gospel and living in community and on mission with one another. And that takes more than living, than, than being together once a week. Right? It takes more than being together once a week. You cannot grow. This is, you're going to, want to throw stuff at me right here. You cannot grow as a Christian on your own outside of a regular gospel-centered community. It's impossible. 
What if I was on an island? Whatever. We only mature when we are together in one body and in unity. Look at this. We know this from this text. Paul says, when we're infants, when we're immature, we're infants. And he uses the plural. When we're, when we're immature, we're infants, right? We're very self-centered. But when we walk towards maturity, when we're brought into unity, when we're being made mature, we become one body, singular. We're made into the body of Christ, singular. Maturity brings unity. Maturity means you're a part of a body of Christ. Immaturity is you're on your own, doing your own thing. Nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody can speak into your life. And nine times out of ten, you surround yourself with people that tell you what you want to hear. This means the mature person that he's talking to, Paul's talking about, growing up into the mature manhood, the person he's talking about is the church. It's corporate. It's not a person. You don't get to be mature on your own. Yep, I'm fully mature. No. You're mature when you're in a body. You're mature when you're with a community. You're mature when you dwell in unity in the gospel with other believers. Maturity is found in the corporate gathering of the body of Christ. You cannot be a mature Christian outside the local church. We know this, right? What can a finger say to an Like, how can a finger be part of the body if he's off by himself, right? You're a part of the body of Christ. We cannot, we grow together. We grow together as a body. As all of us use our gifts to speak the truth in love to each other. We cannot do this on, on our own and not all the time. Now listen, to speak the truth in love, our, our missional communities that do gather during, during the week and they live life together, uh, part of the thing, part of what we do in a missional community is we try to speak the truth in love to one another. And you cannot do this all alone. You need community. You can't do this right all the time. We screw it up all the time. You, if you're a really sweet person, okay, you're good at s- speaking love to people, but you don't, ever bring, you don't ever bring truth into it. And love's not love without truth. If you don't bring truth in it, you don't get love either. You just get sappy emotions. You don't get truth. But, but you know, unfortunately, if you're like me, you do the opposite, and you speak truth many times without love, or, or you speak truth in a cold way, or you just say, well, this is what you need to do. Duh, that's what the Bible says. You know, you speak truth without love, and when you speak truth without love, you don't get either as well. Jesus Christ models for us this perfectly. He's perfectly true, and he's perfect love at the same time. But the beauty about the body of Christ is I can bring my gift and somebody else in my missional community can bring their gift, and when we're speaking to a person, that I can speak the truth, and they can speak in love, and we can combine it, and they can hear it from both directions, and the body is working together for unity. Listen, this is what I want to ask you, because I know if we've grown up in church, and church has always been just what we do on Sunday, and maybe if the elite Christians will go on a, a small group thing, right? I'm trying to rewire all of that, but I want you to listen to this text. If he says... Every one of us have been given a spiritual gift to build up the body in love. That's how we work together. That's how we function, by all of us doing our part and doing our job. How do you use your spiritual gift on a Sunday morning? I can, because I got to put this thing on, right? I got to get up and talk, act like I got something to say. If you can rock out in the band, okay, maybe you can. But what else? You're going to pass out bulletins? Really? Is that your spiritual gift? 
shake hands at the door? Park cars? You can't do this on Sunday morning. You can't do this. This is meant to be in community and on mission. You can't even be a good Christian on Sunday morning, man. Why? Because it's so consumeristic. I come in, man, I really hope that preacher's got something to say because I woke up early and the bears are playing and want me, right? God, man, that coffee didn't taste very good today. I don't know. Like, what? You can't do this outside of community and not on mission. This is, this is a, today we consider this covenant renewal. We consider this, we come together as believers, as a bunch of missional communities that gather throughout the city, and we worship our God for what he's been doing throughout the week. This is a celebration for us. We want to be equipped to go out and minister to our city. Ministry happens outside of these walls. Ministry happens at your job. Ministry happens at the gym. Ministry happens at your school. That's where your ministry happens. Living life together in community and on mission. Now, so Paul says we've been given all that new spirit, new life, new heart, new father, but he's also given us new gifts. If you've been born anew, when, you, when you're that spiritual baby, God gave you spiritual gifts. Now, this is where I wanted, you know, I just couldn't, I didn't have time um, to, to, go into, to go into spiritual gifts. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 talk a lot about spiritual gifts as well. We'll cover that down the road some other time. But I just want to tell you, God's given you gifts to build up the body of Christ, to speak the truth in love to one another. That's the point. If you're, I mean, hopefully you're not sitting at home praying to be able to prophesy or speak in tongues or, or you know, do some, you know, work miracles or something. Just, it's to build up the body of Christ in love. That's the point. When you're, when you're sitting across coffee from someone and you can tell something's not right. And you say, how's it going? And they say, oh, it's going good, man, it's going good. And they say, no, no, how's it really going? And you see the chin, right? (laughs) And you're like, yep, there it is. It's coming. It's coming. And you get to speak the truth in love to that person. What does that mean? Jesus Christ did this. speaking the truth in love is so difficult we fail so often but I want you to see how Jesus did it for us the cross tells us the cross is really bad news at first listen the cross tells us that we are so dead we are so lost that nothing but the death of the Son of God can save us. Nothing can fix us. Nothing can heal us. There is no counseling that we need. There is no improvement that we can make. We are absolutely dead at the foot of the cross. That's what the cross tells us. Nothing can restore us but the blood of the very Son of God. It's the only thing that can save us. That's bad news. That's truth. But at the same time, The cross tells us that we are so loved. That Jesus went to the cross, not with an angry expression on his face, he went to the cross absolutely willingly and gave up his precious life, all of the riches of heaven, in order to save us and bring us back into a relationship with God. At the same time, we are that dead that we can't save ourselves. 
but we're that loved that the very Son of God, sinless, perfect Son of God, willingly gave his life for us. That's what the gospel teaches us. Unless you can see your lostness, that you are really that bad, you will never experience the undeserved, gracious love of God. And until you know how amazing, until you know how amazing his love is, you will never really be free to admit how bad you really are. It's speaking the truth in love. If all we ever do is sympathize, and oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you know, the person's wrecking their life. A young man addicted to pornography is treating women like objects, completely objectifying women, going from woman to woman, ruining young girls' life. And we say, oh, man, it's so difficult. Oh, I feel so bad for you. Oh, it's so difficult. And we never speak the truth and say, brother, you're a fool. You're shaped into the image the culture's created you. You don't know anything about the image of God, that a man is meant to protect women. A man is not meant to exploit women. We never speak the truth to that person. They're never going to grow up into the maturity of Christ. But we could say, hey, bro, listen, you are a fool, but I'll walk with you, and I love you, and Christ died for you, and you have the Spirit of the God living, and you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, and you've brought into the body. This is not acceptable. You're a fool right now. You don't know what you, maybe you don't even know what you're doing, but we're going to walk together. We're going to walk together, speaking the truth in love. You've got to assess yourself. Where do you fall on that? Are you, a, are you just a lovey-dovey? Are you a hard truth speaker? And let the chip, hey, Holy Spirit's our comforter, man. <laughs> I'll speak the truth. Bam! Holy Spirit, you better help me out here because all I got is truth. And I lived that way for a long time. Doesn't work out so well. Speaking truth in love. This is why we need a body. This is why we need missional community. This is how we grow. I can't see my own sin. I can't see it. I think I see it. But when I sit down and I have a, a brother or a sister in Christ from my missional community or whatever, look at me and say, Justin, what's going on right here? You seem to be really freaking out about controlling things or, or being really productive and, and everything's about how busy you are. What's going on, man? Where, how's your soul? I see this in you. I, I, I see you uh, maybe not spending enough time with your wife or maybe not spending enough time with your kids. Or I, I see you being really short with people. Are you believing the gospel? Do you know that you're accepted in, in Christ outside of your works? Speaking the truth in love. And as the pastor, I'm the chief one that puts myself on the hot seat in my group. You know, I want to, I give my, I give them hey, speak the truth in love to me. I need it. We all need it. It's how the body builds itself up in love. If you're here this morning and all this talk of spiritual immaturity and spiritual babies and, and blah, 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 and what the church is, and, all, and you're like, this is like some different language, I want to invite you to the Spirit of God today the proclamation of the gospel, I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just to get you out of hell. Not just so you can one day 
float off to heaven. I'm inviting you into a relationship with the body of Christ where you become a mature person, where you grow up into mature manhood, mature womanhood, where you, where you, after years, begin to walk, as we saw in the first three verses last week, in humility, in gentleness, and in patience, the anti-virtues of our culture. I want to invite you into that. You don't have to do anything. I mean, this is, you don't, we don't come down. You don't do anything, any of those things. Um, the, the Bible says that you need to believe in Jesus Christ and turn from your sin. Believe that you're worse than you ever feared, but simultaneously, you're more loved than you ever hoped. That's what the cross tells us. You're really that bad. We're all really that bad. God couldn't save us any other way. He killed his son to do it. But we're really that loved. Father, I thank you for your spirit here today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your church. I thank you for your body. I thank you in your sovereignty. You've brought many gifted individuals to this body, that every single one of them have been placed here by you. They've been gifted by you for the building up of the body of Christ and the ministry and the mission of our city. Father, I pray that we would be known as a church that sends out disciples of Christ, that, that disciples men and women and sends out missionaries to our city. That we wouldn't be just a large gathering, we wouldn't be just people to get together and have a little rally, but we would be missionaries to our city, missionaries to our culture, preaching and proclaiming the excellency of Christ, the glory of God in all things. You are a good God, you are a great Savior, and we worship you today. I, I thank you and I believe that you brought the dead to life today. And those of us, including myself, who are still immature, who are still a baby in many ways, Father, bring us into maturity. Use the body of Christ to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.